Happy Palm Sunday. That required a response of some sort. Thank you. Uh, as Bill mentioned, I'm Greg Tonkinson. I'm the spiritual life director at Valley Christian Schools. Uh, and one thing that I like to ask my students, we get to a particular unit when we talk about ethics, and I like to ask this question, and that is this. What's the cruelest form of punishment that we have going for us today? What, what, what is it that we have in our system, or maybe you've seen that enacted somewhere where you would label that as the cruelest form of punishment? And as we talk about that and I hear about, you know, various forms of torture or whatnot, I think our penitentiary system has it somewhat accurate that if you commit such a heinous crime, they will actually lock you up for 23 hours in an eight by 10 cell. And then you get an hour uh, of wreck time, but that is again by yourself. And then they put you back in for 23 more hours. And I think they figured something out. And that is we don't need to commit physical torture. We just need to keep you away from people. We just need to keep you in isolation. And the reason that I would argue that that is probably the cruelest form of torture is because every human being that's been created, it was created with Imago Dei, the Latin for in God's image that you and I have imprinted on our souls this idea of being made in God's image. And part of that comes from uh, the relationship God the Father has with God the Son, and God the Son has with God the Holy Spirit, and God the Holy Spirit has with God the Father. And there's this beautiful community. And so rather than being isolated, I think God is calling all of us into some sort of community. And I think our souls long for that when we don't have that. And that doesn't mean that I can't spend time alone or that I don't need downtime. But over time, I find my soul longing to be amongst people. And by the way, that's just a microcosm, if I could be so bold as to say, of heaven. That heaven is not me being on an island by myself, but it's being with millions and millions, if not billions of people who love the Lord. We're wrapping up 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, in fact, you want to turn there, we're going to be in the back half of chapter 5. And, and the reason I bring this up, this issue of community, is because Pastor Bill, for the past two weeks, was speaking on this issue of the end times. He was talking about in the back half of chapter 4 and the first half of chapter 5, this idea that we need to live hopeful lives and holy lives because Jesus is either going to take us home or he's going to return one or the other. And we want to be prepared for that. In fact, Pastor Bill said, we don't want to be caught, you know, proverbially, proverbially, it's not even right, proverbially, nope, perverb, now you're going to try again, that we don't want to wake up figuratively asleep at the wheel. Thank you. And so we live these lives saying, Jesus, I want to live in such a way that if and when you should return tomorrow, I'm ready. Right? So I was reading that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and I got to verse 11, which says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And I thought, that'd be a great place to end this letter to the church of Thessalonica. You just talked about the end times. In fact, when we start the uh, book of 2 Thessalonians, Paul picks right back up on this issue of Jesus coming back. And yet if you read 1 Thessalonians, there's 17 more verses at the end of chapter 5. And I thought, well, why would you put that in there, Paul? You were doing so well. Just wrap it up. And yet we have these 17 other verses. 
upon face value, they seem to not have much to do with what he was just talking about. But maybe, maybe upon closer investigation, we can make a connection. And here's the connection. The connection I'm going to make and the theme today is together. And here's what I believe that connection to be is that while we're to live hopeful and holy lives, the reason we do that is not just for ourselves. The reason we do that is twofold. One, to further the gospel. That when people hear about the good news, they want to hear it from people who are actually living it out. But then secondly, it's because we have to do this together. That one of the institutions that God created was the local church. And in doing the local church well, we need to do community well. And so as he wraps up chapter five, as he's writing his last few lines to the church at Thessalonica and the application for us today, I think we can find two things and I've broken them down into two spheres really. One sphere is how do I do community well with you? And then we're gonna talk about the second sphere in just a moment. And when I looked at that first sphere, I actually found two aspects of that sphere that Paul is talking about. Here's the first one, and that is I need to respect the heavy lifting. That when we do community with each other here at ACC or wherever we're at in a local body of believers, that I want to respect the heavy lifting. Here's what I mean by that. Um, this, is, this is my brother in the Lord, Nate. Nate has been a believer for 24 years. Nate um, is an elder at his local church. That local church, much like ACC, has a board of elders, a board of leaders. And Nate, four years ago, he's not a theologian. In fact, he's an engineer at Intel. But because he loves the Lord, some of the members of the church came to him and said, hey, would you apply? And so he did. And for the past four years, he's an elder at that particular church. And what the Bible is telling me through the Apostle Paul is, Greg, what we need to do is we need to be in community with Nate, but we need to do it in such a way that we're respecting the heavy lifting. Look at verse 12 with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. Paul says this, he says, but we ask you, brothers and sisters, to recognize those who diligently labor among you and are in leadership over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you regard them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. In fact, when I was looking at various translations of this particular verse in verse 12, in the New American Standard Version, it says, but we ask you, brothers and sisters, to recognize those. In the English Standard Version, it says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those. In the New International Version, it says, we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those. In the King James Version, it says, we beseech you, brethren, to know them. And in the New Living Translation, uh, it says, dear brothers and sisters, honor those. In fact, the word there is to know, to remember, to appreciate. Uh, the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, or the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and then the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew. The same word is used to respect or recognize, to acknowledge, to know, to honor in Genesis 39. Genesis 39 is the story of Joseph. Joseph, his brothers hate them. They want to kill him, but instead of killing them, they leave him in a ditch, right? And someone comes along and gets him. His name is Potiphar, and Potiphar and he and his wife take, take Joseph on. And early on in their relationship in Genesis chapter 39, verse 6, we read that Potiphar put Joseph in charge of all of Potiphar's belongings and did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. In other words, Potiphar got to know this guy in a short period of time, but trusted him so much that the only thing he worried about when he got up each day was, what am I going to eat today? I mean, what a great life because you have someone in your corner that you have 
undoubted trust in. And Paul is same exact word is coming to you and me today saying, Hey, when you look at the elders at ACC, when you look at the leaders of ACC, you need to have that kind of trust. Why? Because they're doing the heavy lifting. Now the question is, who are these people? Well, here they are. Uh, These eight men are, are the current elders at ACC. Are there any here right now? Are there, do I see any of them? Well, we got one. Okay. So, uh, let's see right there. Brian's in the bottom left, uh, bottom corner here. So listen, he, he's right here in the flesh. Like this isn't like, you know, these guys never show up. He's standing, he's sitting right here. So I'm going to read a bunch of things about Brian and these other guys up here. Look at him while I'm reading this. Cause he's right here. You stare at him. God comes to you and to me today and he says, hey, listen, with these eight guys plus these three guys, uh, Brandon, Pastor Bill, Dr. Dave, they're the, they're the full-time uh, senior leadership pastors, that they're called in ways that most of us aren't called. For instance, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Brian and his crew have to do this, be above reproach, be the husband of one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, skillful in teaching, not overindulging in wine, not a bully, but gentle, not contentious, free from the love of money, manages their own household well, not a new convert, must have a good reputation with those outside the church. Now, listen, we're all called to do those things as well, but they're commanded to do it. If you want this position, and by the way, just see, it's a total coincidence, but two more guys signed up for this. <laughs> Brian and Ken, are these guys here today? Brian and Ken, you here? Okay. They signed up for it too. They signed up to, to do the heavy lifting. And God called all of these people together and said, listen, here in this local body called Arizona Community Church, I don't just suggest you do these things. I command you do these things. The question is why? Why would you why, why would you want to do that and why do they have to do that? Because that's the way God set up the local church is that we would have a body of people above us that would do some of the heavy lifting. Now, why is it critical to respect them? It's critical to respect them because if you look back in verse 13, look at this um, where it says uh, leadership over you and give you right in the middle, give you instruction. Did you know that the word for the instruction there is to admonish or correct. See, we think of instruction as like pastor Bill is just going to stand up here and teach us. But the actual word means that yes, he's going to do that, but he's also going to admonish and correct me. Now watch this. The reason that I want to respect the heavy lifting is because I want to have undoubted trust in these gentlemen when I, with everything, so that I can do like Potiphar, I can do what I want to do minister in the way God's gifted me to minister. And I don't have to worry about the direction of this church, where my tithe is going. If these guys want to build buildings or have satellite campuses or make you know, moral decisions about the philosophy of this church or whatever, I can trust them with that. Now, most of us would look at that and say, well, Greg, I, you know, I'm tracking with you so far. I don't have a problem with that. And yet we get to this word instruction. See, here's where we're going to have a problem with it. We're going to have a problem with when Brian needs to pull me aside and take me out for coffee. And he's going to show me some blind spots in my life. And now he's going to admonish me and correct me and say, Greg, listen, you got some blind spots in your life. I'm going to, I want to help guide you back onto the right path. Oh, see, see, it was all fun and games until now Brian had to take me out for coffee. 
Now I need to decide what? If I'm going to respect him or not. See, I'll respect you as long as you don't cross me. As long as you don't want to correct me. As long as you don't want to get involved in my life and get messy with me, I'll respect you. But the minute you want to do that, well, now all bets are off. And I don't see God's word saying that, gang. Rather, I see God's word saying, listen, part of their job is to lead this church, but part of their job is to correct and admonish. And I just want to know, are we going to be the type of congregation that's going to allow them to do that? And quite honestly, I think in, in our culture today, we really struggle with this idea of respect. Um, I, asked, I teach high school again, like I said, and I asked my students this question very recently, a couple weeks ago. I, I just gave them, we're talking about this, this issue of respect, and I said, hey, teens today have as much respect for their parents as teens did 30 years ago, and 85% of my seniors said no. It's just not no. And they're one of them. Like, <laughs> all right. And then I thought, well, well, maybe it's just because of parenting today. Right? Maybe the parents have just messed up so badly in the past 30 years that kids are like, listen, Tonk, I want to respect my parents. I just can't. So I asked them the second question, which was, parents are doing as good, if not better of a job than parents were 30 years ago. 46% said, yeah, they were. Yeah, they are. So, so, so 85% is saying, we're not, you know, we're not doing a whole great job of respecting as teens, but, but our parents, are, they're hanging in there. So I don't want to point fingers today, but I, but I do want to admit that we are, we are um, depleted as a culture right now of this issue of respect. 30 years ago, listen, 30 years ago, um, you had knuckleheads for sure, but there was an air, there was a culture, there was, an, there was something about when I walked into a classroom, I respected my teacher. When I came home, I respected my parents. Uh, when, I, when I joined the military, I respected you know, my government, etc. I remember my dad sitting over here. I remember being a senior in high school, junior, senior in high school, I can't remember. And my dad's always been my dad, you know? It's, it's like when you grow up with your parents, it's your dad, you know? And, and we, he's a lieutenant colonel for the Air National Guard, and, and so, you know, we'd see him in uniform and whatnot, but we went on to his base one day, me and my brother, and, 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 and he's the second in command in that base, and so there's only one person higher than him. And, and if you're not familiar with the military, the way the military works is anyone higher than you, you have to salute. Like if you're just chatting and someone of a higher rank walks by, you stop what you're doing and salute them. So we get out of the car. We're walking like from the parking lot to his office, which good for him. It was a long walk because every person we passed had to stop and salute this guy. And I'm just kind of, it's my dad. I'm just walking along with my dad and everyone's just stopping, you know what they're doing and like, I'm like, who is this guy? He's my dad. This isn't, you know, what is this? But that's respect. And I gained more respect (laughs) in that walk. Because I'd forgotten, oh, that's what respect is. I don't know where it came about, quite honestly, gang, but we live in this era now where I hear this quite a bit. I'll respect them when they earn my respect. What? I'm sorry, what? Yeah, like, like, you know, thanks for teaching me, teacher. You'll get my respect. I'm 16. You'll get my respect when you earn my respect, says the 16-year-old. Um, if the principal walks into the classroom, he or she will get my respect if I know them and if they've earned it, not because they're the principal. Do you see that? And so, listen, Elder Brian and your crew, 
go do what you want with our church's leadership, but the minute you need to take me out for coffee and instruct me and admonish me, all bets are off. You'll get the respect only if I agree with you, which I probably won't, and if I know you, if you've earned it. Where'd that come from, guys? And, and, and so what I'm gonna suggest is I don't find that in the scriptures clearly, and I certainly don't find it here in First Thessalonians. What I find is actually respect him because he's an elder of our church and he does the heavy lifting, period. Now, can I just say this to the 11 men up here? Um, do the heavy lifting, right? And so you're, you're charged to do the heavy lifting. So there is this dance we're going to do. If our elders aren't doing the heavy lifting, then they give us reason not to respect them. But guys, initially I walk into this relationship saying, I respect these 11 men and these possibly two others. And that's how this beautiful, messy thing called the church works. I I came across this one article, uh, where is it here? This lady, her church tried to admonish her, she sued them. So I thought that was interesting. They, they, they tried to correct, they tried to instruct, they tried to pull out 1 Thessalonians 5, and she said, yeah, I get it, I'm not having it, here's a, <laughs> here's a lawsuit. Okay, so we don't want that here at ACC. How do we combat that? Well, we, we respect the heavy lifting, but watch this, here's what Paul says. He says, do some heavy lifting. Don't just respect these guys and that they have all the work, go do some. Um, this is my friend over here, this is Camden. Camden, is 26 years old, and Camden is what we would call um, undisciplined. Camden uh, is struggling a little bit, unruly. Uh, Common vernacular would be, he's lazy. He's a freeloader. 26, still lives with mom and dad, doesn't pay any rent. Works part-time, and he complains about it all the time, his brutal 17-hour work week just about killing him. And so I take Camden out to coffee and I'm just trying to figure Camden out. And he says, you know what, Greg, I just haven't figured life out quite yet. I'm 26, I'm trying to ease in. Haven't found that great career yet. So until then, I'm just gonna kind of do what I'm doing. The Bible comes along in this passage actually and says, we urge you brothers and sisters, admonish the unruly. Same word that Brian and his team have to do with me. Guess what? Look at that, we urge you who? Brothers and sisters, meaning not just the elders, but me and you. We get to do some heavy lifting today too. So if I know Camden, and I'm close to Camden because we're in the same Sunday school class, or we, we work together, or we're neighbors, or we're, you know, we're both part of this fellowship, then God's calling me, he's calling you to have a conversation with Camden. And that's rough, that's tough. I don't wanna have this conversation, so what do I tend to do? Dear Pastor Bill, you need to go have a conversation with Camden. When the Bible is clearly telling you and me, actually, Greg, you have a conversation with him. And I, and, and I say, well, what, what do you want me to say? I don't know what to say. So I read to Camden, you know, 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, well, I don't even, you know, it doesn't make any sense to me anyway, so, so what else could I do? Well, maybe I could do this then. Um, right here. These, this is the book of Proverbs, and all of those Proverbs talk about the lazy person. And guys, listen, not one of them, not one of them affirms that lifestyle. Not one. In fact, these are a couple of my favorites. Uh, As the door turns on its hinges, so does a lazy one on his bed. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, I got five kids at home, um, teenagers. Uh, is it my 17-year-old here? Hey, there's my 17-year-old. I know Bailey, my 17-year-old, snooze music better than he does. I, I, lazy people take food in their hands but don't even lift it to their mouths. And so Proverbs comes along to you and me and says, listen, take, take Cam now for a cup of coffee and I love you to death, man, but we got to work on some things. And Camden's typical response is going to be, you don't know me. You don't know the trials I've endured. Okay, maybe I don't. I know this. And guys, here's, the, here, here's why this matters. Because 10 years from now, when Camden's 36 years old, praise God if he wakes up to the reality of this is not a great lifestyle. So he flips the switch and he gets a job and he's working hard and he's doing everything right. And he takes you out to coffee. And what does he say to you? Hey, you were with me these past 10 years. You saw what I was doing. Couch potato, freeloader, you saw. And what's his question going to be? Why didn't you say anything? Where, 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 where do I go with that? Well, I sent Pastor Bill an email. But is, is that the best we have? Paul was dealing with this in Thessalonica. He says, for even when we, this is, by, by the way, this is the second Thessalonians chapter three. He says, even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he's not going to eat. For we hear that, say, that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, but no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now we command and exhort such persons in the Lord Jesus to work peacefully and eat their own bread. But as for you, brothers and sisters, don't grow weary of doing good. He, he was struggling with this. This undis- guys, undisciplined lives, that's, that's easy. We all struggle with that. Who doesn't want to just, you know, eat, drink, and be merry? But God's calling us to greater things, and we all know that. So Camden needs some help with that. Uh, this is my friend over here. This is, um, this is Jada. And Jada has been a believer for a decade uh, but lately, culture and society and pressures of life are just getting the best of her. Her trials are trumping her triumphs. And so she's trying every day to get up, but the more she does, the more she just wants to throw on the white flag, just call it a day. When, when Pastor Bill talks about Jesus returning, Jada leaves church every Sunday thinking, why can't it be right now? The Bible calls that she's, she's faint-hearted. She's trying, but she's getting overwhelmed and the stresses of life are just crushing her. And the Bible comes to you and me and says, encourage her. Jada needs to be encouraged right now. And again, notice the top half of 14. We urge you who? Brothers and sisters, me and you. I don't need to be a theologian to to take Jada out to coffee and encourage her. Well, Greg, what, what do you want me to say to her? Proverbs 25, 11 says, like apples of gold in settings of silver, like this beautiful picture, so is a word spoken in right circumstances. Jada's in, in need of a word spoken in right circumstances. She's in need of encouragement. She's in need of, of you and me to come along and say, I'm your cheerleader right now. I, 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 after first service, someone came up to me uh, and they said, so, you remember that picture of the guy in the spacesuit? I said, yeah, they said, that's me right now. I got, I got, you know, work from home when COVID hit and I've been working from home since last March and I'm the guy in the spacesuit right now. You don't think he needs to be encouraged? Keep fighting the good fight. COVID's almost over. You know, whatever you want to say, I don't know. Like help him. 
Don't send off an email to Brian or the elders and say, hey, I think someone's struggling here. Take him out to coffee. Take Jada out and say, Jada, I'm your cheerleader today, man. I've got you. Because she needs help because we're all going to be here, if, if not right now. And so we're going to leave here. God forbid we should leave here feeling isolated and alone and lonely and no one knows. It's just that when we peek our head out a little bit and, and be vulnerable, we, we don't get the response we're looking for. And I'm saying, guys, it's not difficult. Paul's just saying, encourage the faint hearted. You can do that. I can do that. This is my friend, Gina. Uh, Gina has been a believer now for uh, six weeks. She just became a believer. And the first couple of weeks she became a believer, she was super excited that everyone was encouraging and whatnot. But just like with everything in life, the fanfare dies down and then you're left kind of to do your own thing. Whenever you become a believer, you know that the target gets right put on your back and the evil one just starts hitting you. And so Gina has been struggling as of late because she's going to work and people are countering her beliefs with counter beliefs that seem reasonable. And so now she really doesn't know what to believe. She starts reading her Bible and figures out, boy, that's a complex book. And I don't know Genesis from Revelation. And so I'm finding more questions than I have answers to. The Bible says that Gina is spiritually weak and she needs help. There's nothing wrong with that. Most of us have been there. And so she just needs someone to come along inside her and help her, provide resources for her, do a Bible study with her, pray for her. Now, here's the, here's the kicker though, guys, honestly. If Paul is calling you and I to help the weak, in, in this case, Gina is just spiritually weak, to help her, we all can't be Gina's, right? Gina, it profits Gina nothing to get alongside another Gina and for both of them to sit across the table from each other and have doubts about everything because neither of them are mature enough in their faith to have the answers. That doesn't help anyone. So, so listen, if, God, if you've been a Christian for, you know, a decade, you should be further along in your walk with Jesus than 10 years ago. If you've been a Christian for 30 years, you should have 30 years worth of walking with Jesus built up so that when Gina sits in your space, you can help her. And again, you don't have to be a theologian. Sanctification, which is, you know, being set apart, being made holy by God happens from the time I become a Christian till the time I die or Jesus comes back, right? And so this is the moment we're in. I don't have to be a theologian to work off of my experience, my wisdom, my age, and my reading of the word, being a church and whatnot. I have a wealth of experiential knowledge combined with God's word to help this young lady. A wealth, I just need to do it. I just need to step into this girl's life. Take her out to coffee and say, Gina, man, I've been there. It's rough. But you can do this. I have hope in you. And then I turn to some passage that give her the hope that when she faces trials, that she can overcome them with perseverance and joy. And joy leads to hope. And hope leads to, to our faith leads to hope. And I share that with her. And, 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 and she feels better about that. We've all been in those conversations, gang. We've all been in those conversations where we've actually done some of the heavy lifting and we drive home and we feel good. And when someone asks us, how'd that go? We actually say it went better than I thought it would. That's nothing other than God at work in, in that conversation, in, that, in, in our lives. And so I want to respect the heavy lifting, but I also want to do the heavy lifting. Now, here's the problem with all of this. The pro- oh, and by the way, Paul says this too. He says, 
at the end there where it says, be, uh, help the weak. Look at this. Be patient with everyone. See that no one repays evil with evil, but always seek what is good for another, for one another and for all people. In other words, I want to help individuals, but then there's something we all do as a body and that's we're patient with each other. And the reason we're patient with each other is because Brian's going to screw up from time to time. He doesn't sit on this beautiful, isn't this beautiful by the way? I will sit on it. <laughs> Brian doesn't sit up here on his little pedestal and say, look at me. He's imperfect. He's trying the best he can to help lead this church, but he's going to fall from time to time. I need to be patient with him. Camden definitely needs my patience because he's going to get up and try to work. And he realized, boy, work is hard. And then he's going to back into slumber. And we got to kind of work through that. All three of these people need our patience and I need your patience and you need mine. The, the problem is, is that these are moving targets. These aren't static. But sometimes, you know, Camden is lazy and one day like he's not. And that like the hope I have, right? One day Jada is faint hearted and the other day she has a little bit of courage. One day Gina is weak and the other day I meet her and she's like in a Bible study and she's kind of doing strong. And so it's a, it's a moving target. I, Brennan Manning uh, wrote the Ragamuffin Gospel. I like what he says. He says, we, all of us were a bundle of paradoxes. We believe, we doubt, we love, we hate, we hope, we get discouraged. He says this about himself. He says, at times I think I'm an angel who also has a, an incredible capacity for beer. Some of you got that. But I believe, honestly, the world is going to see this imperfect small band of Christ followers respecting the heavy lifting, doing some of the heavy lifting, and they're going to break the doors down, guys, because of isolation. They're tired of it, and they want to be a part of authentic community. Don't play games with me, right? And so when they come to ACC and they find, man, we're just a bunch of imperfect people, but we get these two, these two aspects of community well. We, we do it well. Now, here's the second sphere, and that is community with Yahweh. I have community with you, but I have to have community with Yahweh. Look what Paul says in verses 15 and following. He says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. This is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Don't quench the spirit, don't utterly reject prophecies, but examine everything. Hold firmly to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Okay, now when you read that, some of us mentally, we wipe our hands clean because we look at that and we say, Greg, listen, you know, I get it, but you, you can't do that literally. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. You're not going to do it. I don't see you on your face 24-7. And so kind of it's an all or nothing. Because if I can't rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks and everything, then I'm not going to do it at all. But, but can I just challenge us this morning maybe? What if we read it like this, that this is more of a lifestyle than it is a checklist? In other words, watch this. That rejoicing always is simply that I see God as a sovereign, has a sovereign will that's being worked out in real time. So that even when I'm facing trials, I can rejoice in those trials. Out of these three people, by the way, who benefits when I come alongside them and they see that I've got trials like they have trials, but I'm rejoicing my trials. Jada benefits from that. Jada's like, how do you, how, why aren't you throwing in the towel right now? I know, you, I know your problems. You tell me about your problems, but you seem to get up with a, with, a, with a spirit that is joyful. How do you do that? I don't know. Bible tells me to rejoice because I know God's at work in this and he has a sovereign plan that's getting fulfilled. Praying without ceasing. I, I, you know, that, it, it, 
It's not praying the three minutes on the car ride or praying the 18 seconds before a meal. Praying without ceasing is just simply, I talk to God throughout the day. And I also get stuff done throughout the day. And I also talk to God throughout the day. And that there's not an aspect of my day that God's not intimately involved with because I talk to him about it all the time. That's what I think Paul means by praying without ceasing. I say, give thanks in everything. It's because I have this right relationship with God. God's working out for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So it doesn't have to make complete sense for me. So I go to Gina and I say, listen, Gina, the Bible's, God's a mysterious God at times. And there are times where, where things happen in my life where I can lament, where I can question, where I can have a little doubt. But at the end of the day, I have this right relationship with God who has my best at heart and he has your best at heart. And therefore, I'm gonna give him thanks. Even during those times where I just don't get it, I'm going to give him thanks. I'm not gonna deny that there's a spiritual dimension where it says, here, don't quench the Holy Spirit, don't utter, uh, reject prophecies. Prophecies, by the way, I believe today are mostly identified as preaching or, or proclaiming the word of God. And so the Bible says, listen, don't quench the spirit. We live in a spiritual world, folks. We can't prove everything in a test tube. Lots of life is subjective. And when we quench that, when we say, well, I can't prove it or I can't see it or taste it or touch it. or God's saying you're quenching the spirit. But watch this. When Bill preaches, when I preach, you, the priesthood of the believers, you have a Bible, I have a Bible. Go home and read 1 Thessalonians 5. Examine it. Come back next week and say, Greg, listen, we got to talk about one of these verses. You know, That's how we do life together. Now, again, watch this. If you need to come back and tell me like something I said here wasn't accurate or whatever, once again, what am I doing here? I'm receiving instruction. We're admonishing one another. We're teaching one another. And the issue is respect. And am I teachable? Now watch this, and we'll end with this. These two spheres, guys, they connect. How? Because when I'm communing with God, when I have community with God that I'm rejoicing, I'm fellowshipping, I'm praying, I'm giving thanks, who benefits? Camden benefits. Jada benefits. Gina benefits. Nate or Brian and his team benefit. Because I've got it. I figured it out. That life's not about me. So when my relationship with God is on point, these conversations are awesome. When my, con- when my relationship with God is not on point, the best I'm doing over here is my own wisdom. That's the best I, I got for these three people is my own wisdom. And that's not good. That's dangerous. Because I'm a knucklehead. But with God, I'm still going to be a knucklehead, but God just he, he shuts my mouth when I need my mouth to be shut. And then he gives them the wisdom they need from his word, which I read at some point in my life. And he just births that out of me. And then I just, we do, we do this life together like that. And guys, again, I'm just so convinced that when we're doing these two spheres right, the world outside is more receptive to the gospel because they find this, albeit imperfect, better than what they've got. Much better than what they've got. And they come into here and we're like, we're just a, you know, we're a bunch of ragamuffins. We don't, we don't know what we're doing. They said, no, you do. You, you have, you got something here. So I want to conclude with this, maybe just by asking these three questions. When I'm in need of correction, will I be teachable? Now for some of us, honestly, like don't even look at the next two questions. Like just stay right there. When I'm in need of correction, will I be teachable? 
For some of us, am I going to do some heavy lifting? Listen, uh, you know, there are a lot of churches out there where they don't mind if you just come, sit, and go, come back next Sunday, sit, and go. That's not here at ACC. That we want you to come, sit, participate, do some of the heavy lifting, then go, come back, do, you know, and that, we'll all do it together. And then finally, how closely does my life resemble Paul's picture of a believer's community with Yahweh? When I look at these um, aspects of the Christian life, rejoicing, praying, giving thanks, running from evil, letting God do his will, not quenching the spirit, how close do I get? If I were were to spiritually grade myself right now, and the beauty is this, folks, honestly, if you have breath and life today, that means you, you shouldn't be perfect in any of these. This is a process. You know when you're gonna be perfect? When we get to glorification. When either I die or Jesus comes back and my body is glorified and my soul is glorified, no more sin in the world, then I will be able to check those boxes. But until then, this is a process. It's a journey and it's a journey meant to be run together. So let's run it together. See what comes of it, okay? I wanna close the way Paul closed this letter and just by reading, starting in verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. May your spirit and soul and body be kept complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you and he also will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. Put, I put you under oath by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. God, thanks so much that we get to do life together here at ACC. And Father, if Pastor Bill is anything, he is the epitome of not being too, too ahead of himself, not being too proud of himself. Father, and, I, and I, I know many of our elders, and I know that is true of them as well, that they are humble men of God who just want to serve the best they can. But God, I would ask that you would shore them up because the target is on their backs, and they need that, that strength to fight the good fight. But Father, to the person in here who knows you, That is true of them as well. God, may you give us these conversations so that we may enjoy fellowship with each other. Not that we have all the answers. We're just one um, sinner who has been saved by grace talking to another sinner who has been saved by grace. And maybe, just maybe, we've been a little bit farther down the road where we can offer some wisdom. Father, we long for you to come back. I love this week because it, it is one more reminder of what happened that week when Jesus went into Jerusalem knowing he wasn't gonna leave. He was going to hang on a cross for our sins, but God so loved the world and he demonstrated that love and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then three days later, he rose again. So God, may we celebrate this week. May we, in our neighborhoods, in our workspaces, here at church, may we just have an attitude of joy because we know what you've done and we know what you're doing and we know what you will do. Until that day comes when you return, Father, we will give you praise and continue to fight the good fight. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.